You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. This is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Sally. Hi, Sally. Welcome. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. So um, why don't you take us back to the beginning in your journey? What was um, in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? So let's see. Let's go way back, shall we? Um, typical high school, nothing crazy. I shouldn't say typical high school. So for me, high school was all about hanging out with friends, cheerleading, doing all of that. Alcohol was never a, a big part of anything that I did. Not really a big part of anything that I did in college. I experienced, experimented with it a little bit here and there. Um, my drinking really started to escalate when my life kind of went sideways. I entered into a marriage. I was in a marriage for 13 years that ended up being an abusive marriage. My drinking kind of escalated at that point. Um, two years into my marriage, my husband at the time was involved in a pretty serious um cycling accident, cycling like Greg LeMond, not Zoom Zoom motorcycle. So in the hospital for about three weeks, out of work for three months, I brought him home from the hospital the day that I did. My father came to live with us. He was had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he lived with us the last three years of his life. And just during that whole process, everything just really, really ramped up for me. And I realized that I was absolutely self-medicating for sure. And it's just what I use to get me through the day, get me through the abuse, get me through the situation with my father. Um, I, I had always struggled as a little girl, young adult with the whole not enoughness and the worthless feelings and alcohol definitely came into play. I had crazy social anxiety and I thought, okay, well, there's power in the punch. And I would always, you know, take a couple of swigs or sips and start to loosen up and, um, but yeah, for me, it really started to escalate probably in my mid to late 30s, I would have to say, is when it got really, really bad and just continued because as my relationship with my first husband deteriorated, my father eventually passed. He passed in 95. I realized that I was in a pretty unhealthy situation. And so alcohol was my friend. It, it got me through everything that I needed it to get me through. Um, and I always felt as though... I was built for more. It's like, this can't just be that all life is about. I mean, then there have to be other coping mechanisms, but I was just so duped and stuck in that cycle that I couldn't get myself out of it. And I mm -hmm. finally had enough courage. I left my husband and I swore, I swore off men. I'm like, that's it. Peace out. <laughs> I'm independent. I had my own business. I had my feet underneath me. And I'm like, this is all I need. God had a different story. And um, just out of the blue, this amazing human being appeared into my life and turned my world upside down. And I lived in North Carolina. He lives was living in, in Maryland at the time. And I just remember thinking to myself, there's got to be something better out there. You know, you've got to get yourself together because what you're doing right now, it's taking you nowhere. Fast forward, Donnie and I, this is my husband's name, Donnie and I get married. I moved to Annapolis. Um, we live on the same street as his ex-wife. I always say that God has a very interesting sense of humor. So live on the same street as the ex. I couldn't have children. And so I inherited two amazing boys through Donnie. And through all of that, 
and I moved my mom up. She was living at the time. My father had passed in 95, so I had become her primary caregiver. So I had my mom up here. I had inherited two boys living on the same street. I'm like, cocktails, please. <laughs> so that's when, I mean, when more recently is that it really, really ratcheted up for me. Got super crazy. And that was in 08 when I moved here. So that's when it, the drinking really escalated for me when I moved to Maryland, I would have to say. It started ratcheting up, but really got bad when I moved here. And so then what happened? Oh, gracious. I had tried so many times to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to cut back. I, I'm going to try to quit. I had absolutely zero tools. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I brought all my old stories, all my old junk, felt like Ebenezer Scrooge in that movie, Marley bringing all of his crap with him, all those chains, that labor. Oh my God, it was just painful. So, so you were just, you know, the, the ex-wife was down the street. You were, um, it really was ratcheting up. Was everybody else around you drinking as much? Oh or? my God, yes. Yeah. So I live in Annapolis, which is like, I call it Betty Ford Central. It's the drinking capital of the United States, in my humble opinion. Everybody around, everything in this town, because it's a touristy town and it's on the water, is it's a big sporting event, is to drink. And there, there, was, there were constantly parties, groups of people, everybody was always clamoring about, you know, getting together. I was always trying to seek that out because I was trying to fit in. I was trying to find my place in a new town. And alcohol just seemed to be the vehicle that helped me do it because I brought all those old stories with me. That's where I was going. Just all of my insecurities, all of the not enoughness, all of my, you know, the lack of self-worth, all of that came with me. Um, I've met a gal here and we've become very, very good friends. I mean, she's like my ride or die. And we have literally been through hell and back together. I mean, we started off as really good friends in this amazing support system. And we both got sucked into all of the partying and all of that. And it's amazing how it's just in alcohol is just so insidious. Doesn't care who you are, doesn't care how much money you make, doesn't care what your age is, if you're a Christian or you're not, it doesn't care. It doesn't care. And it took me forever to realize that that it it's an addictive substance. It's addictive to humans. And if you consume it, you're gonna get hooked. And that it it duped me. It was exciting and it was inviting and it was liquid, you know, confidence in a cup. And I just, I bought into all of that, bought into all of it. And so with this friend of yours, were you guys actively trying to cut back or was it not? Yes. Yes, we were. Absolutely. We were. She's a health and fitness girl. And so she would always say to me, you know, this isn't good for us. This isn't good for us. And she would be on a diet and I would join her or she would be on a fast and I would join her. So we did try. We found you. She found you actually way before I did. And she said, I found this great book, The Alcohol Experiment. You should read it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to give that up just yet. It's too much truth coming my way. So we kind of dibbled and dabbled with that. I tried the alcohol experiment mm, four times. Yeah, four times. I made it through once. And that's when I did the path. Yay. But that that was yeah. So I, we were I was definitely looking for tools, looking for things, and nothing really landed for me until my friend found you and started reading your book and kind of giving me little tidbits and facts. And she kept saying to me, "We're not alone. We are not crazy. 
because we would go through that whole like retox detox, you know, we'll go out, get all hammered, have a good time, wake up in the middle of the night feeling like crap, you know, thirsty, dehydrated, heart pounding, anxiety front and center, waking up in the morning, dear Lord, at the foot of the cross, I'll never do this again. Please make all this bad feeling go away. Why am I feeling this way? I thought it was just all the anxiety and just the residual of the alcohol. I didn't realize really until I, and the thing that drew me to the alcohol experiments is I love all of the science behind it. That's what really got me hooked because it's like, once you know, it's hard not to know. It's, you can't unlearn it and you can't unsee it. And once I had a better foundation of what the poison really was doing to me, then I was able to bring more curiosity to the table as opposed to judgment because I was just so full of self-judgment, judgment of myself, judgment of others. You know, everybody else made their drinking look so easy. Why couldn't I do it? What was I missing? I mean, I was going toe to toe with them, so I knew I could drink, but I seemed to, it was like the recovery and during the day to day that I was really struggling with. But like I said, the, the thing that helped me the most was was finding you. And when I found the path, it just opened up everything. And my husband and I actually did the path together, not in the same class. He was before me because I'm so self-righteous. I was like, dude, you got the problem. You go get fixed and we'll see what happens. And I would hear him on his calls and the coaches would say, you know, would anybody like to share? And I was I'd be like in the other room and I'm like, oh. I have something to say. I really want to be a part of this. So he started in January and I got completely lit up just listening to him and seeing his progress that I jumped in in April. But I had actually, when he decided that he would do it, I decided to stop drinking with him. So I stopped drinking in January and he started the path in Jan. And then I started the path in April and I was already alcohol free up until that point. And I mean, white knuckling it as much as I could and just doing as much shadow work with my husband as I possibly could. I'm like, well, if it's working for him, it's got to work for me. So yeah, that that was that's probably one of my favorite things about this whole thing is being able to do that together, buddy plan exit. And I, I it was like built in for me. So that was really amazing. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. So a lot of people actually ask me, and so I'm curious to ask you when they're thinking about joining the path, they're like, well, I'm already alcohol free. And so I have my own response, but before I go, what, what would be your response to somebody considering it? Who's like already alcohol free? Oh my gosh. It absolutely changed my life. It, it I have my life back and it is 1000% my doing, but it's my doing because of the path. It's the tools, baby. It's that toolbox. And also for me, just the community, not having that sense of community, not feeling like a lone ranger, like I was alone, like what is wrong with me? I always felt like odd man out. And I'm kind of a hothouse plant anyway. I'm very, very private. I'm an introvert, you know, party of one for me, please table in the back, keep the volume down. And I thought community, shunity, I don't, you know, I've got Jesus because I'm a big Bible thumper and I've got my man and all of that. And within like a week, I noticed every time I got on a call, who would like to share? I'm like, whose hand is that? Oh, it's mine. Yeah, yeah. So the community, the toolbox, um, yeah, that's where it's at for me, for sure. It doesn't matter. You think, you know, you don't know nothing. Well, you, you know something, but you don't know as much as you could. 
So yeah, for sure. It's yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm like, well, are you peaceful in your not drinking? Ooh. And if you're not peaceful and you're not drinking, then yes, the path is for you because that's, that's the thing it's a very different experience to be not drinking with feeling. And I just re- relate from my own experience, feeling like you're missing out, feeling like you're outside of the whole thing, feeling like, you know, everybody else it's, it's, it's some sort of like have to, um, to be, to being really peaceful and excited about the sort of living alcohol free. Yes. And a tremendous sense of calm for me also, and knowing that I wasn't alone and knowing that I could be supported along the way in this journey was so invaluable. You can't put a price on what you get out of it. And it's like with anything, the more you put into it, the more you absolutely are going to get out of it. But the beauty of the path for me was that every day there's content and there's community. So there's always something that's relatable for me Mm -hmm. in my journey. I always found that there was something so relatable and the beauty also in being able to share that with other people and being able to support other people and to give back what you're getting out of it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's great. And so what happened with your, your friend? Uh, She's a coach with you. Oh, she is. Oh, amazing. (laughs) There you go. That's great. Yeah. I mean, she like took it. So yeah. And that's another thing that's been so great is after having gone through the path, I still have that support because it's like with anything, if you're not going to continue like the work or growth or however you want to term it, it's amazing how for me, and I've noticed I can begin to backslide just with anything practice takes perfect, you know, practice makes perfect. Um, So it's really lovely to be able to have a built-in community of like-minded people with number one, my best person in the planet, which is Donnie, and my other best person on the planet, which is this beautiful friend of mine who's gone through the program with you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said before that like transformation has a half-life, which I guess a half-life is basically how quickly it leaves your system if it's left alone. Yes. Um, Or sort of another way to, to think about that is, um, the law, the, you know, law of entropy, which is like the second law of thermodynamics. And it basically says like, if you have a hot cup of coffee and you leave it alone, it will become cold. Or if you have a car and you leave it alone, like the car will rust. Or if you have a house and you leave it alone, like it will eventually become overgrown with, with plants and, you know, mice and, and all of these things. And I remember personally feeling like that's such a frustrating thing as human beings that we have to continuously reinvest in, in our growth and in our transformation. And I just had this like frustration with that. But once I, once I really realized like, oh, it's not just me, it's actually a physical law of the universe. Like that's how it works in physics. Like things will devolve, things will become chaotic, things will go back to how they were if they're left alone. And so if you want to maintain change, you know, staying engaged and staying, you know, whatever that means, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, go to, like in my, my experience, it doesn't mean you have to go to meetings for the rest of your life or do anything like that, but just really continuing the journey of, you know, what's the next thing for me? Where's the next level for me? Where, 
um, just of, of kind of personal growth, it's, it's so important because it does really have a half-life and just by the function of our brains being, you know, really survival machines first, they go back to what they know and mm -hmm. so a minute to, to kind of, um, come full circle. I actually want to ask you about, um, if it's okay with you, something that you kind of shared with me right before we started recording, but understand that your mom is, um, just recently passed away and I'm so sorry yes. to hear that. Thanks. And, um, and I'm just curious with, you know, that can be such a huge trigger for drinking again. And I, I I'm curious how you're navigating that. Um, you know, what's really interesting through this whole situation is I was so proud of myself because this is something, this has been such a dragon for me for so many years trying to tame this dragon. And my mom, God love her heart, she was not a drinker at all. She was a, kind of a teetotaler, really. An occasional glass of wine, but that was it. My father, big drinker. My sister, asleep like in a coma with her addiction. So it was always very front and center with that. And I always, I come from a military background. So having your parents be proud of you was very, very important to me. And I wanted to honor my mom and to honor her legacy. And I was her primary caregiver. And I thought if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna get her to however, whenever God's gonna take her, I want to really be able to enjoy this experience. This is a gift. I have been gifted the, the responsibility to, you know, as a good, to be a good steward for my mother, to honor her and everything that she represents. So for me, just holding on to that, to be able to honor her, that kind of kept me going as well. Um, and to be honest with you, Annie, alcohol never even came into the picture. As soon as I found you, it was almost like I found my tribe. I was so into the work and so ready to do it and to just immerse myself in it. I never looked back. I, I had it complete. Alcohol was in my rear view. It truly, truly was. So through this whole experience and there has been, I mean, anytime somebody dies, the universe just goes sideways. Mm. It, it just does in some form or fashion. And there's always family drama. It's been kept to a minimum, which is really lovely. And it's because there was no alcohol involved. There wasn't any of that. And I was able to mourn and I was able to grieve and I was able to be there. I mean, she she was a hundred, a hundred and a half when she passed. Her birthday would have been in August and she would be 101. Um, so she passed on the 22nd of March. Uh, my father passed on the 23rd of March in 1995. So she was pedaling as fast as she could to make it to him, but I mean, she couldn't make it on the day, but neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I just remember thinking to myself, there's no need for this. There's no place for it. There's no point. What's the point? All I would have to do is have an inkling in my mind of what it does to my body, or I could transport myself to a place in my mind where I had experienced alcohol before and the outcome was not what I wanted it to be. I was like, good feeling gone. That's not how I want to show up. I deserve more. I want more out of life. And how do I get to show up? And it's to be sober. And I just, I conjure my mom all the time because she was an incredibly, she was teeny tiny. I mean, no bigger than a minute, like four 
10 for 11. I think she weighed maybe 90 pounds. She wore a size four and a half shoe. I mean, I, I'm like the giant of the family. I come from little people, but she was the epitome of grace. And I just always kind of wanted to emulate that. But alcohol had other plans for me. And until I was able to eliminate the alcohol, I could never truly create the life that I wanted. And I couldn't show up the way that I wanted because there was not enough room for me because alcohol was was the biggest was the biggest thing in my life. I gave it so much power, so much power, Oof, like a bad friend, like a bad penny. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Really, really a beautiful testimony of, of kind of going through, um, going through something so tough and just, you know, I, I can relate so much to the idea of like, just looking for a place in your past. And honestly, I don't, I don't really have, I mean, cravings or triggers or anything because it's been so long, but I remember the very early days of, you know, those firsts would happen. And that's something we actually talked a lot about in the path. It's like this idea of firsts and, you know, navigating your first wedding or navigating your first, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, happy hour, whatever your first, obviously your first tragedy and these firsts would happen. And, and I could also just transport myself mentally to kind of like, what would it be like? Like it wasn't a, there was a little space between kind of trigger and reaction to sort of say, how would it go? And every time you do that, you're like, well, there's nothing good here. Like, I I remember that kind of just being my mantra. Like there's just, there's just nothing good here. There there's no, yeah, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't. And then it was so easy to like very naturally let go of when you kind of have that realization of there's just nothing good there. So there's no cheese down that tube, girl. That's what what my mom said. There's no cheese down that tube, honey. But you know, the thing, the most empowering thing, one of the most empowering, there's so many good juicy nuggets from the path, but one of the, my favorite empowerments for me is I remember those fucking first times and they are scary. Buddy plan, exit, buddy plan, exit, you know, don't future trip. Don't get, you know, don't get hung up in all of that. But I remember thinking to myself, you can do hard things. You've done hard things. You've been through an abusive relationship. You know, you've already buried a parent. You've let go of alcohol. You've done hard things. Then that's what I just kept saying to myself. You can do this. You've done hard things. You've got you. I have me. For so many years, I put so much, oh, so much merit in what others could bring to the table. I need, I need, I need. There's a big difference between need and want. I want you in my life. I don't need you in my life because I've got me. And that is a beautiful place too. There's so much freedom in there. There's so much room for my heart and my mind to connect when I come at it from that place. And so that that journey, that process from from going from needing other people to really feeling like I've got me. I mean, yes. what, what a beautiful thing. And what were some of the most like, how did that go for you? How what were some of the the aha moments? Um, I think the biggest aha moment for me was with my husband, because, again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So let's just stick to the facts and not the story. My father, and I won't go trippy long back, but my dad was an orphan. He was born in 1919, my mom in 1922. I mean, they were depression kids and he was born in an orphanage. His father served in World War I, came back and committed suicide. So 
My father was the oldest of the family and his mother couldn't afford to keep them. So he basically, the kids went into an orphanage and there was a home for boys and a home for girls. He graduated when he was 18 and he went right into the military. So he came from a place where he probably didn't get a lot of love, a lot of attention. He probably was not told that he was loved. He probably didn't have a tremendous amount of self-worth or self-value. And as kids, just, you know, my parents were doing the best that they could, but we picked up and all of that's just transferred. It's that generational thing. It's all transferred over. And I just didn't want to get lost in that. And so I thought, you know, where, where can I find the nut? Where, where is the gift in the darkness? And it has to come from within me. And so when I realized that I could find it inside of me, then that was kind of like the pot of gold. It's like everything you need. It's like Dorothy, click your house three times. You're already home, baby. It's like everything I need is right here. It's like the one-stop shop. That's That was probably the most beautiful thing. And then it, trans- it started to transfer into relationships. And I remember I said to my husband for the first time, he was like, well, don't you need? I was like, no, I don't need you. I want you. And he was like, what do you mean you want me? I was like, that's just sexy. I want you. I don't need you for anything because I've got me. And if I've got me, think about how much more beautiful of an experience you get of me. And because I get to be myself and I'm not constantly looking for something to complete me. I'm complete enough as I am. Mm, So awesome. So good. Yeah, that's that was really juicy, really, really juicy for me. And And liberating, there's power there. That's so powerful because all of my life, I was told what to do and how to do it. You didn't speak until you were spoken to. I thought that, you know, love and validation was given if I showed up and my room was made and I made good. I mean, I was a 10 soldier. I I never realized that I was good enough just by showing up and breathing. Mm, How incredible. Yeah. How incredible. Now you get to pass this along to your, um, your children, your boys. Yes, 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 yeah. Reed, uh, we have two boys, Reed and Chase. Reed is 28 in the Navy, living in Hawaii, just got married, getting ready to have a baby. We're super excited about that. And Chase, our youngest, helps Donnie in the family business. But I am I am honest, probably to a fault. <laughs> and being a step, I think it's almost kind of like you're not, you're a parent, you're, a, I play that parental role and I'm all in that parental role, but I still kind of come off like crazy Aunt Sally over in the corner. You know, they don't treat me like a mom, but they love, they love me. And so when I was going through this, especially our oldest, Reed, I was like, listen, man, I got to tell you, Drinking is not where it's at. And so I've shared a lot of my experience with him and actually apologized to him. Not like I felt like he deserved or I owed him an apology, but it felt good to be able to say, I'm really sorry because I had no idea what alcohol was all about. None. I thought that it was, you know, it's what everybody did. You know, you drank to celebrate, you drank to to toast. It was always around. It was always present. It was always prevalent. I said, and I'm really, really sorry because I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know any better, but I know now. And I want you to know so that you can make good choices. You do you baby all day long. I didn't have the information. And I so wished that somebody had shared that with me earlier. It's like, listen, don't wait until I'm 60. I'm like, don't wait until you're 60 do it now. And so both of my boys, um, not because 
Donnie and I are this miracle couple, but I, both the boys have really listened and, and paid attention. Chase is not a big drinker, never has been a big drinker. Reed was a big drinker. You know, he's 28. That's just what, unfortunately, society tells you it's, it's okay to do. And I also loved being a rebel about it in the sense that I loved being in the minority when I when especially my husband, when we did the, um, God, what's her name? Gretchen Rubin, the four tendencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, before Donnie even did it, I was like, I already know what you are. Not like I'm Miss Smarty Pants, but he is a rebel. I mean, he tips to another, but he's definitely a rebel. And so is, is Reed. And I, and I said to him, I said, do you realize the percentage of our nation that is drinking and the small percentage that isn't? I was like, I want to be part of the minority because I want to be part of the minority that takes a hold of this amazing movement and it's this the scales are going to flip just like with the whole cigarette movement i'm like it's coming it, it's absolutely coming and i want to be a part of it and i'm proud to be able to say that the cycle and the chain is broken right here and if you pick it up it's on you but i'm breaking it right now and i want you to have all the information so that you can make the best decisions and the best choices for your life and what an incredible like approach of, again, no needs, right? Like no needs for him. Just this is like true vulnerable information. Oh and even it from like an apology when you don't, like you said, you don't owe or have to, there's nothing to apologize for, but to say like, I wish I would have known. Yes. And so, you know, it's such a different energy than coming at somebody with, oh, well, I did it wrong. So you need to do it right. Yes. You know? And it's just like, how much more receptive are people when we come with that level of vulnerability and, and humility and like, you know, willingness to just like say like, Hey, this is what I wish I would have known. 100%. And so yep. cool. Yep. I always say to my boys, I'm like, listen, do with it as you please, but listen well, and maybe you can save yourself a little bit of pain. There's a reason adults are bitching at you constantly because we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's just great. Um, gosh, how incredible. Well, is there any other um, parts of your journey you want to share before I kind of ask you the final question? Oh my gosh, parts of my journey that I want to share. I am just so incredibly grateful that I have my life back. I have me back. Um, my relationships on this earth and in heaven are so much better, so much stronger. I am grounded. I am doing things that I have. Annie Grace, I'm a greeter at church. I've been going to the same church for 15 years and we're not members because I was partying my ass off and I couldn't get up to see Jesus on Sunday. I'm a greeter in church. I've attended two Bible studies. Um, I joined a book club. What else am I doing? I, I, it's, I'm just, I'm, I wake up every day and I'm just excited about the day, whether I have something going on or not, because I think to myself, I have this body that I've been gifted and I have this life. What am I going to do with it? And every moment I have the opportunity now to choose and I choose me and I choose being happy and I choose life and none of that existed with alcohol. I was chasing something that alcohol was just a vehicle to try to get me to. It's like a runaway train to nowhere, nowhere. So, yeah. So good. 
So good. So Sally, if you are going to go sort of back in time to yourself who was living, you know, things were stressful. You just moved, you found yourself, you know, detoxing and retoxing and, um, and really feeling stuck in it. And you're going to tell her about what life is like now. What would you say? Never give up on yourself. You're, you are priceless. And it's one life that we've been gifted. And it is a gift every day. That sounds so cliche, but every day is a gift. And what are you going to do roaming around on this planet for the next however many years you're on it? Are you going to choose to be happy or are you going to choose to be a slave to something that doesn't give two shits about you? I cho mm -hmm. choose you over and over and over again, always, always. I love that so much. Well, this has just been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and all your enthusiasm and sharing, sharing your story. Just really a gift. Well, thank you. I appreciate you letting me muddle through. I apologize if I wasn't as eloquent as I wanted to be, but I'm, you know, I, I purposefully scheduled this today because I said to myself, I was like, my husband said, what are you doing? You're going to Barry, I'm sorry. I, sometimes I can be a little crass. I adore my mom, but I, my brother said, you got to quit saying that you buried your mother. It sounds like she's in the back with the, you know, all the dead family pets. I'm like, I'm sorry, at mother's funeral. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, thank you so much for just kind of letting me, letting me be me. I really appreciate it. But I was grateful to be able to come on because I was like, I can do this. I've got, I've got me and Annie's going to create a space for me. And God's with me and whatever happens, happens. And I'm just going to trust. It's all going to work well, out. It was perfect. I mean, it's, it's just awesome. And it's so vulnerable and real. And I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, honey. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how this naked mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.